0: chapter twenty two of turns about town by robert cortez holiday this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty two recollections of the landladies there is no figure in the human scene which makes so unctuous an appeal to our relish of humanity as the landlady when the landlady comes upon the stage at the theatre we all awaken to an expectation of delight in the characteristic manifestations of her nature and seldom are disappointed. The genius of the greatest of authors always unfolds with particular warmth in the presence of their landladies. A moment's reflection will recall a procession of immortal landladies. Whether it is that the colorful calling of landlady cultivates in one a peculiar richness of human nature, or whether landladies are born and not made, those with characters of a special tang and savor instinctively adopting this occupation i cannot say but the fact is indisputable that landladies are not as other persons are no one ever saw a humdrum landlady a commonplace person as a landlady is unthinkable now i think i may say that all my life or nearly all i have been an eager and earnest student of landladies i am indeed much more familiar with the genus landlady than with courts and kings or with eminent personages generally such as supply the material for most of those who write their recollections thus i am competent i think to speak on a subject curiously neglected by the memorist one who makes a culture of landladies comes in time to have a flair for these racy beings, and is drawn by a happy intuition to the habitats of those most resplendent in the qualities of their kind. Of course, one never can tell what life will bring forth, but it seems to me that my present landlady marks the top of my career as a connoisseur and amateur of landladies. She is strikingly reminiscent of an English landlady, in England, particularly London, is as all the world knows, to the devotee of landladies, what Africa is to the big-game sportsman is paradise there the species comes to luxuriant flower, so that to possess with the mind one or two well-developed London landladies is never to be without food for entertainment. My present landlady, to return is, of course, a widow. While it may be, for aught I know, that all widows are not landladies, with very few exceptions, all landladies worthy of the name are widows. Those who are not widows outright are, as you might say, widows in a sense. That is, while their husbands may accurately be spoken of as living, and indeed are visible, they do not exist in the normal role of husband, the commercial impulses of the bona fide husband have died in them generally through the attachment to alcoholic liquor, and they become satellites, hewers of wood and drawers of water to the genius awakened by circumstances in their wives. I one time had a landlady of this origin in Norwalk, Connecticut. She was a woman of angular frame with a face of flint, a tongue of vinegar, and a heart of gold. This, I have found in my travels, is the type of semi widowed landlady. I had another such, an identical one, in Topeka, Kansas. The asperity, doubtless, is occasioned by biting disillusionment in the romance of long ago, but it is external frost on the window. At the heart's core, Wells, the sense of universal embracing maternity, which makes the character of the landlady by vocation sublime. All semi-widowed landladies have, it is their divine inspiration, large families of half-grown sons. My landlady of Norwalk grumbled continually. She could be heard out in the kitchen complaining in a shrill, querulous tone that... With things as high as they were, people would be crazy to expect meat twice a day. Yet she had at her board the meanest, most low-down, ornery, contemptible, despicable cuss in human form I ever knew, and the only fault I ever heard her find with him was that he didn't eat enough. The erudite and landladies have, of course, cognizance of a class which are in no degree widows those of this department of the race however frequently are not landladies in fiber but merely incidentally they are young wives who for a transient period seek to help out in the domestic economy by taking a few lodgers who come with unexceptional references as wives doubtless they are meritorious but no monument need be erected to them as landladies though i should like to see in the principal public square of every town and city a monument designed by an artist of ability placed to the enduring glory of the landladies of that place for are not landladies ancient institutions fostering the public weal and in their field not a whit less deserving of homage than governors and soldiers i would say to a nation show me your landladies, and I will tell you your destiny. I should be remiss, however, in my chronicle, did I not note that among these partial and ephemeral landladies occasionally are to be found pronounced landlady potentialities. I recall a landlady I had on Montague Street, Brooklyn Heights, whose passion for cleaning amounted to a mania this young person's housewifery frenzy always put me in mind of another soul who could not rest hokusai who at about a hundred and ten was spoken of as the old man mad about painting hovering about tortured by a desire to begin when i left for my breakfast she was still at it upon my return from my morning stroll my door barricaded by articles of dismembered furniture "'still at it when I came back a bit impatiently from a second walk, "'still at it while I read the paper in her dining room. "'And so, without surcease, throughout the march of days and seasons, "'she unscrewed the knobs of the bed to polish the threads thereof. "'She removed pinpoints from pen holders and made them to shine like burnished gold.' I had another landlady moved by the same springs of feeling on Spruce Street, Philadelphia. Later I heard her husband died, and she espoused her latent career. There is in the galaxy of landladies quite another type, an exotic plant in the wondrously competent sisterhood, specimens of which may be found blooming here and there, like some rare orchid. I mean the fragile lady landlady, the clinging vine bereft of the supporting husband oak. Such was Mrs. Knoll, of Central Avenue, Indianapolis, a little, plump, rounded body, exceedingly bright, pleasant, intelligent, amiable, and helpless, all of which qualities shone from her very agreeable face in person. In her youth, no doubt, she was a type of beauty, and she remained very well preserved. Life and vanity and disappointment had slipped away, in the Thackerayan words, from Dr. Noel some years before, and his widow and only child, Miss Noel, were left in possession of the old family home, and nothing more. They could not bear to leave it. That would break their hearts, said good, ineffectual Mrs. Noel. So it was viewed by them unfortunately somewhat fallaciously, in the light of a possible support. The doctor evidently was a man of books, and his widow had sought, more and more, companionship in reading. Life, the actual world about her, that is, and vanity, but not disappointment, had, in a manner of speaking, slipped from her too, and she had turned to that great world of shadows. In books, she said, I can choose my own company. She had plighted her troth in youth to Dickens and to Thackeray, and to these she had remained ever faithful. In a world of false books and unsafe friends, she knew that she had by the hand two true spirits. Jane Austen she loaned me with tremulous pleasure, and she was very fond of Mr. Howells with whom she said she lived a great deal, and the Kentons, the Laphams, and the Marches were characters better known to her than her next-door neighbors. But it must be confessed that the tender perfume of Mrs. Knoll was not altogether an equivalent in the sphere of her passive efforts to the homely vegetable odor of the authentic landlady, in great cities, amid the sheen of civilization, is to be found, just adjacent to smart quarters of the town, the tulip in the variegated garden of landladies, the finished, polished stone gathered from the mine, the bird of plumage of the species. I mean, of course, the landlady de Monde, the modish landlady, or, perhaps I should say, the professional hostess, as it were, for it seems rather vulgar, a thing repellent to the finer sensibilities, to touch this distinguished figure of immaculate artificiality with the plebeian term of landlady. The personages of this type are, so to say, of the peerage of their order. Such a Lady Drew it was, whose guest I became for a time on Madison Avenue, New York. With silvered hair, like a powdered coiffure, softly tinted with a delicate enamel of cosmetic rich and stately of corsage this expensive and highly sophisticated presence presided in the subdued tone of the best society over the nicely adjusted machinery of her smart establishment by the authority of a consciousness of highly cultivated efficiency and an aroma of unexceptionable standards this consummate hostess type of landlady is of course one which the passionate collector will preserve in the cabinet of his mind with tremulous happiness in the sheer preciosity of it i cannot but feel however myself that this type fails of complete perfection as a work of art in this that in every work of the first genius it cannot be denied there is always a strain of coarseness and perhaps i should confess that my own taste in landladies though i hope it is not undiscriminating leans a bit toward the popular taste the relish of the rabelaisian stevenson has observed that most men of high destinies have even high-sounding names and any one who has reflected at all upon the phenomena of landladies must have been struck by the singularly idiosyncratic character of their names indeed an infallible way to pick out a competent landlady from an advertisement is by her name is it a happy name for a landlady go there as her name is so is her nature I one time had a landlady on Broom Street, New York, whom the gods named Mrs. Brew. I one time had a landlady, in Milligan Place, Manhattan, of the name of Mrs. Boggs. One time I had a landlady just off the East India Dock Road, London, whose name was Wigger. I shall always cherish the memory of the landlady I had down in Surrey, Mrs. Cheeseman, one and all, these ladies, as landladies, were without stain. Regarded as a bibelot, Mrs. Wigger was, I think, of the first perfection. In her own genre, so to say, she was as finished, as impossible of improvement, as an Elgin marble, a Grecian urn, a bit of Chinese blue and white, a fan of old Japan, a Vermeer, a whistler symphony a caricature by max bierbaum she was of massive mould and very individually shapen her face was very large and very red and heavily pockmarked in her bizarre garments in some indefinable way she imparted to the character of the born slattern something of the grand style her utterance was quavered in a weird, cracked voice, which had somewhat an effect as of the wind crying high aloft in a ship's rigging. She slipshod about, always a bit unsteadily. Her movements and her manner generally, I felt, made it not unreasonable to suppose that she had in secret certain habits no longer widely approved by society the apple of her eye was an unkempt parrot which spent its days in vainly attempting to ascend the embracing sides of a tin bathtub landladies beyond all other persons have the esoteric power of becoming for one the, the geniuses of places it would for instance be quite impossible for anyone to visualize my mrs cheeseman torn from as you might say her context. If you were asked to describe Mrs. Cheeseman, you would naturally do it in this way. You would say, well, I wonder what has become of the sweetest, quaintest, fairest old inn in all England, and into your mind would come a rapid cinemagraph picture. A highway winding out of dorking, stretching its way between hills to the sea, you round a turn and see before you long, low, glistening white stables, the stables evidently of a coaching inn. And presently you come into view of an ancient white stone building with a Sussex roof. From a tall post before the door swings the board of the king's head. White ducks ride in a pond at the roadside there. Round this inn which you are approaching is the greenest, handsomest hedge ever seen and along the road beyond you perceive the cottages of a wee village. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. The romance of destiny, which, in its inscrutable way, has been leading you all your long, lifelong, to the bosom, if I may so put it, of Mrs. Cheeseman, reveals its beneficence now by carefully graduated steps, at the other side of the main bulk of the king's head, which it was given you first to see, you come upon a delicious little flagged yard, leading to another arm of the house, older still, very venerable, with a high roof, low descending, a roof which tucks under its projecting wing, many oddly placed little latticed windows, gaily sporting innumerable tiny panes, like a miniature cathedral spire, a tall, quaint chimney stands sentinel at one corner, and several chimney pots peep over the roof's dark crown. Up this little yard, bounded on one side by a multicolored flower garden, whose fragrance bathes you in a softening vapor of perfume, you enter, by a door which requires you to stoop, the wee taproom. Here, a cavernous fireplace. Settles are within against its sides, a gigantic blackened crane swung across its middle, and a cubbyhole of a window at its back. Above it is swung an ancient fowling-piece. The stone floor of the room, like the ancient flags without, is worn into dips and hollows. Along the window-sill of an oblong window, measuring one wall, is a bright parade of potted plants. It is impossible to avoid the conclusion that there is something psychic about landladies. As you look about you at the environment in which you find yourself, you experience a premonition that you are nearing an affinity in the landlady world. It is strange, too, that there are places where you have never been before in the life which you consciously remember that give you, at once, completely, the feeling of your having arrived at the home familiar to your spirit. And there presently occurs here an event in your career, predetermined, I doubt not, eons and eons ago, a buxom body with the most glorious complexion you ween in all England, which is to say, in the world, enters the ancient room. Alas, whose rosy, honest, pedestrian face and bursting figure are to become forevermore for you the connotation of the name Maggie, the daughter, this, you later learn, of your Mrs. Cheeseman. Soon it is all arranged, and you are having your tea, a uh, meat tea, in the sitting-room of the King's Head, your sitting-room now, a bucolic slavey, a person whose cheerful simpleness is like to that of the little creatures of the field attends you in this commodious apartment of yours is a great scintillation of chintz flowers in pots and vases everywhere caress the eye and the fancy is kindled by the spectacle of many stuffed birds in glass cases on the heavily flowered wall hangs a handsome specimen of the glass, invariably found in England, for forecasting the weather. A pianoforte, as piquantly old-fashioned as a cocked hat, crosses one end wall, and venerable paintings, which time has mellowed to the richness and the general color effect of an old plug of tobacco. Bright sporting prints and antique oddities of furniture to an extent that it would require a catalogue to name all combined to give an air of true sitting-room opulence to the chamber but of landladies and the connotations of landladies one could write a book of several volumes and it being a very fair day and a sunday and the first cool breath after a very hot summer I do not think I shall write those volumes this afternoon. I shall go out for a bit of air, and a look at the world. End of chapter 22. Recording by Tom Penn.